Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is episode one of our three-part podcast series on, on mental health issues. The first episode, we are focusing on psychological aspects in children, adolescents, and adults with major thalassemia. My name is Maria Hadjidimitriou. I am a thalassemia patient. I am an executive board member of the Coolies Anemia Foundation and an expert patient advisor for the Thalassemia International Federation. Our first guest that I will introduce is Kathleen Durst. She has a Master's of Arts in Psychology. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed independent clinical social worker. She's been a clinical social worker for the Coolies Anemia Foundation since 2008. In addition, she has been a clinical supervisor at Boston University's online social work school since 2012 and recently in clinical practice at Headspace Health. Kathleen focuses on the connection between social and emotional wellness and physical health. In her individual and group remote sessions with thalassemia patients, Kathleen uses evidence-based interventions to increase coping skills which help patients to develop a toolkit to use when managing the various aspects of their rare blood disorder. Some of the tools are mindfulness, thoughts restructuring, organizational techniques, stress reduction, care coordination, and many more. Kathleen has a BS from Florida State University, an MA in psychology from Southern Connecticut State, and an a master's in social work from Columbia University. Her postgraduate work is from the Beck Institute, specializing in cognitive behavioral treatment with medical conditions. Kathleen has been in academic work since 2007, working in the fieldwork training departments at NYU, Stony Brook, and Boston Universities. Kathleen is licensed and practices remotely as and a licensed clinical social worker in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and in Massachusetts as a licensed independent clinical social worker. She lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with her husband, her nine-year-old son, and her cocker spaniel. George. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, George Constantino. I'm also a thalassemia patient. And I am uh, a founding member of the UKTS, United Kingdom Thalassemia Society, and also a founding member and of uh, TIFF, uh, and still a very active uh, part, uh, board member. Uh, my passion is to ensure that all thalassemias, all thalassemia people, are given the opportunity for a good quality of life. I will introduce you to Dr. Michael Angastignodis. I think most of you, if not all of you, know of him. Uh, this is a very brief bio because I could be talking here for the next uh, three days. Uh, but Dr. Angastignodis graduated in medicine from the University of Aberdeen and specialized in pediatrics in the UK. He has been a member of the Cyprus Thalassemia Control Program from its onset in 1971. He was a member of WHO Ad Hoc Advisory Committee on the Control of Hemoglobin Disorders in the 1980s and has served as the WHO Expert Advisory Panel 
on human genetics. He was director of pediatrics department of Macario's third hospital in Nicosia, including the thalassemia center, and since 2004, a resident medical advisor to TIF. Okay. So we will start with the first topic, and it is dealing with psychological distress. For example, anxiety, depression. Our first question to Kathleen, we have taken some questions from our patients, is, I always prefer to stay alone. I think that this is a habit since I was young. When I got out with friends, though rarely, I'm, it, pardon me, when I go out with friends, though rarely, I try to enjoy myself, but I don't like big gatherings. Is this normal? Does it mean that I am depressed? Kathleen, do you want to go ahead and answer that, please? Sure, and thank you, Maria, and everyone. For um, Thank you for allowing me to be here. It's such a privilege. Um, so the first thing I would say, first thoughts that come to my mind are, um, you know, who who are you and what do you like? You know, what, what are what are your preferences? You know, there's introverts, there's extroverts. Um, you know, what is really something that, that you like? Have you kind of gone deep to really understand yourself and what you want? Um, you know, depression is definitely a certain, you know, group of symptoms and criteria, and it goes beyond just wanting to stay away from social situations, although that can be one of them. Um, the interesting word in this is question is habit. So habits do get formed out of reasons, right? And the good news is habits can be, we can change them, we can flip them around. So I think once you you discover like, what is it that you want to do? Um, and you, let's say if you do want to go out with friends because socialization is a very, very positive aspect of psychological wellness. So for my clients, I'm always, you know, really um, advocating for them to find their social sort of sweet spot, what feels best. It can be one person, that's fine, but whatever is, you know, your comfort zone and, um, and you know, definitely it's practice, right? Especially if a habit's been formed. So the first time kind of getting yourself ready, I'm gonna go out for ice cream with a friend, build on that till it becomes a habit and see how it feels. The more we avoid things, the more we reinforce that behavior. That's one of the most basic um, behavioral principles. So anything you're staying away from, you're gonna fear it more. Um, so in the nutshell, certainly if you feel there's other symptoms, you want to get evaluated for depression, that would be a great idea. But that in and of itself, I couldn't say is necessarily depression, but try to um, find what you like and increase that socialization because that is one of the best ways to increase feeling good. Thank you. I feel that if uh, patients just continue on with this habit of staying alone, it will escalate to something bigger. So what you said about habit, the good thing about it is that we could change it. Little by little, patients that are going through this need to start changing it. Come out of your comfort zone. So that was really good uh, input, Kathleen. Thank you. Okay, um, I have a question uh, again from our uh, people that have forwarded. Uh, this is for Dr. Ancastignodi, but please, Kathleen, if you want to add anything, uh, please feel free to any of the questions. 
Um, when my hemoglobin drops below 10 grams per liter, at the beginning I become a bit hot, tempered and get upset very quickly. But a few days later, if not transfused, I become quiet and a bit depressed. I think this is quite important that uh, uh, many, unfortunately, even uh, doctors uh, that treat thalassemics seem to think that anything up below, down to eight uh, is, is uh, okay. So these are some of the reactions that patients have with anything below 10. Dr. Mike? Okay, thanks for having me too. Um, my first comment, uh, concerning this question is that a lot of patients, once the hemoglobin begins dropping, um, they do develop some symptoms. The most common is probably backache. Um, once the hemoglobin uh, falls to eight or nine, it varies from patient to patient according to what they're used to. Um, they uh, experience some kind of symptom. Now, uh, why this is what the mechanism is, I'm not sure. What I do believe, however, is that there may be, along with physical symptoms, uh, there may be some psychological overlay as well. And this is demonstrated a little bit here by this patient who, um, when, when he drops to 10, which is what he's used to, uh, as I said before, but at the same time, um, it's a realization that he's reaching a threshold. He doesn't want standards to fall. This may be causing him a little bit, a, 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 a little bit of anxiety. It comes out uh, in this uh, temper, if you like, uh, and um, and then it dies out a little bit. So there may be, along with natural symptoms that. Uh, a lot of thalassemia patients uh, experience when the hemoglobin falls. There may be here also some uh, psychological issue. How to deal with it? Um, first, th there's two things that we have to remember. First is what the patient themselves think and, thinks and does, and then what the service thinks and does. I think the service itself should be sensitive to patients' anxiety, uh, uh, in, 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 when um, level standards of care begin to fall or, or are reduced and provide the patient may ensure that there is no reduction in, in treatment. We need to make sure that blood supply is constant. We need to make sure that our chelation supply is there uh, and that we don't have interruptions in treatment or delays in treatment. So that's from the service side. From the patient side, I agree with something that uh, Catherine has already said. If you have a worry, talk about it. Discussing it with your friends, discussing it with your doctor, discussing it with the nurse even, is uh, a way of helping your coping mechanisms, helping you to deal with uh, 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 an anxiety, however small, however passing. So talk about it. So I think <clears throat> that uh, if 
the patient is willing to talk about it and if the service is willing to listen to the patient's anxiety and deal with any delays in treatment then uh, things will be better thank you um, it's me again but uh, this time is to uh, Michelle uh, Kathleen sorry um, where are we yes I am a thalassemia patient and when I look in the mirror my body image is very bad and especially when comparing it with my peers, my abdomen, my hands, my head. What shall I do? This, uh, unfortunately, is a issue we find. Uh, it's getting a little bit better in the Western world where the treatment is getting a little bit better. But unfortunately, this is not the case everywhere else. And his question is, what shall he do about it? So when it comes to, you know, body image and <clears throat> self-esteem and how we look just in general, just want to emphasize that it's it's a kind of a chronic problem across the board. Like we're also worried about how we look. With thalassemia, certainly it is intensified in many things are intensified in, in different areas. Um, this is one where, you know, some really good treatment of talking to somebody about your inner thoughts and feelings about this is really important because first of all there's a very good chance that a lot of what the patient is thinking is not rational and they're making more of it than it is now certainly there are the objective things that might be happening like the size of this or that like you like you spoke about um, typically, the the brain in general looks at the negative. There's this negativity bias that that we have. It, it's something that is across the board. They've even found it in infants. <clears throat> so our brain tends to go there. So the therapy would be about let's look at what might be objectively so, but let's look at the other things that you think are wrong, which most probably 98% might be like an inflation. And then let's take an inventory of your of the positive. You know, certainly we as humans are not just what we look like. And I understand. And then tons of empathy, and understanding, and and space for um, for processing of that person's specific thoughts and validation is extremely um, extremely important. Um, so that's what I would say to that one question. I wanted to add just one piece to um, to Dr. Michael, is that for the um, for the providers when when the patients are going to the providers, he was saying like, please go go speak to your providers. For the providers to remember when when people are coming to them, you know, for the emotional, social, emotional piece. Fixing is not necessarily what they're going to you for. They want you to just understand their experience and empathy is really important at that time, just to really to be understanding of how they're feeling when their hemoglobin drops, how they're feeling when their temper goes that way and for them to be there and to listen. And then one other piece that I'll add to that is I have my clients do like an emotional wellness temperature, ideally every day. So you can kind of tell when it's changing. You know, if you're like at a 90 on most days and then around that time you start going down, do some more things that are going to up your mood and, you know, a lot of self-care things could help and accept that that just might be so. Acceptance is another powerful tool. 
It's actually quite uh, quite a point. Um, most most patients know exactly uh, what's going on with the treatment, and and for example, this question about body image, we all understand the reasons for our body image as it stands at the moment, and and, you're, and I think you're absolutely right. What patients are looking for, it's some form of theoretical support because we know practically you, there's not much you can do i've got an incision in my abdomen when my spleen was taken out so they can't really do much about it it's just that some support some understanding some communication really helps to mm-hmm. overcome this uh, that, that's just from uh, some experiences from some patients it comes from within as well confidence building is um, a, a huge technique everyone should take on even as an adult thalassemic patient where i have three scars my spleen my gallbladder my c section every summer when i put on that bikini i feel like i'm putting on a superwoman suit because i know people are going to stare and it's part of human nature. People are going to stare at something that they're not used to. They're not used to seeing a woman with so many scars. So I feel like the confidence building that I've been doing throughout the years helps me put on that bikini, go on that beach with full confidence. And if they have questions like what happens, I actually welcome that. I don't care when I see someone staring I'll go up to them and say, yeah, I have three scars, you know, so uh, and I'll go into uh, why I have those scars and go into thalassemia. So it's part of confidence building. It's a huge technique we should all take on. Okay, Kathleen, um, the next question from our patients is sometimes I feel so much bored with the chelation and transfusions that I think to quit everything or at least extend the period between transfusion and missed some chelation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so, um, you know, I kind of start from from the beginning in terms of <coughs> I want everyone to be on a well, like a wellness kind of plan that like my toolkit that I'm talking about in that every day has a sort of thought about what the day is going to look like and what what the purpose is of the actions of, of that day. So if you are starting to contemplate that, I would definitely look at the reasons. You know, so many times, I mean, boredom, sure, that could be a reason. I, I definitely think that that's, that's one. Um, but you'd have to probably reevaluate the purpose of chelation and that it is to give you the quality of life that you want. It is to get you to, and I have, make sure the patients have it like written out so that you can see it on a daily basis, whether it's in a notebook you carry or up on your wall. These are the reasons in this moment, this actually gets me to where I wanna be, but you gotta find the value. Everyone has values that they that they honor, right? We're all different, we're all individuals, especially, so then thalassemia is individual as well. So what value is important to you, if not many, and knowing, connecting the chelation to that. I wanna be a mom, I wanna go to college. Um, and then once again, not the habit thing is really important. I mean, the more that you have a routine and you systematically do things, 
you're going to be less inclined to kind of go into that direction because it becomes automatic. But um, but I but it certainly happens. So I guess the answer is making sure that there's a purpose connected to the chelation. Many people, you know, saying, well, it helps you to live. They don't care about that. That in the moment, that's not important. But then you find that value that's important. I want to be a stockbroker or whatever it is, or I want to be a teacher. Um, those yeah. are really I, can, so, I, can I jump in here for a second? Yes. Uh, just to confirm what Kathleen is saying, mm -hmm. uh, and I'll give you my example. Uh, it's, it, uh, I was the worst patient that you could ever see. Uh, you know, uh, chelation, yeah, that's for next week, not, not today. Uh, but at some stage when I got very near the ability to actually go to university and graduate, that started getting me, okay, so why the heck do I want to go to college and graduate? And But the real shock in my system of my treatment came when uh, this, this woman that was next to me said yes to marrying me. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, uh, there was a, a little one coming through. And, oh. and that's when everything changed. You know, I was no longer, I had no right anymore to ref to not do my treatment. You know, the moment I decided to have some a partner next to me, and not just a partner, but also a little child, then I had no right to actually say, no, I don't want to, you know, treat myself. Yeah, the responsibility changes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's no longer, about you, it is about taking care of your wife and now your papa, so taking care of your child. So the response, there's a huge responsibility shift once that happens. And this patient, once you start extending the periods between your transfusion and chelation, you're on a downward spiral. Everything starts getting worse then. So find something to not be bored. Go out for a walk do some yoga, paint, write a poem, just find something to not be bored and stimulate your creative part of the brain uh, so you won't take this step of a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. uh, can I butt in as well? Because uh, uh, what is really being said, uh, I have to say from the physician's point of view, because I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm the treating doctor, uh, that's my role at the moment. Um, and this is what doctors worry about, actually, when they're dealing with thalassemia patients. We realize that they have a whole life and the burden on them is that they should adhere to a daily treatment. And no wonder they get tired, no wonder they get bored. The question is, from the caregiver's point of view, as Catherine said, from the doctor's point of view or the nurse's point of view, what do we understand this? And can we be supportive? And I think that we must be sensitive. We must be able to discuss this. We must be able to ask questions. We are uh, about adherence to treatment. Uh, we must be able to listen. Um, this issue of uh, coping through discussion, whether it's discussion with the, the physician 
whether it's discussion with your friend, whether it's discussion with your parents, um, is extremely important as part of the coping mechanisms and, uh, and ultimately extremely important to be able to stick to your treatment and not get bored. It's not necessarily what the doctor says. It's not necessarily what opinion your pal or your friend or your mother and father gives. It's whether they've listened. You have to be able to talk and the other person has to be able to listen. It's not necessarily giving an answer. It's not necessarily giving an opinion. So being able to talk about being bored, being able to talk about expectations, being able to talk about all these issues will help the patient adhere. And we need the doctor especially to be ready to ask and to be ready to listen. And sometimes physician avoidance is a little bit of an issue, partly because they're busy, partly because they have their mind locked on uh, the patient's medical condition and not necessarily on what the patient thinks or feels. So there are a lot of issues that come out of this question. Um, the label is adherence and it's extremely important in a patient's life. If I may just bite in for a second. Sorry, everybody. Um, I believe that you're absolutely right, Mike. The doctors have to listen, but doctors have to also be willing to respond to the difficulties by being a little bit more understanding and a little bit more flexible in their support. I, I can, I've got many examples of, of, of this, but that's the, the end idea. Yeah, we totally agree, George. Right, Michael, my next question. Uh, when I was a, when I was young, doctors have predicted that I will not live to see my eighth birthday. Then they went to 12, then they went to 14, and then they stopped predicting. Through the years, many of my thalassemia friends at my age died. Sometimes this makes me feel guilty and wonder how come I lived as they died. George, you and I have grown old with thalassemia from a different role, each one of us, but we've both grown old and we have lived through the years when medicine wasn't ready to provide the kind of treatment it provides today. There was a time I remember when uh, in Cyprus, and you were there at the time, uh, the government was providing us with 12 vials of Desferal per month. Totally inadequate. But everyone at that time thought this was good. This wonderful drug, and it's good. Now we know, of course, that at that level of care, we were killing patients. And it's not surprising that over the years, we lost patients, we lost our friends. And uh, this brings a situation of mourning actually, both to the patient who loses their peers 
and even to the doctor who loses their patients. So this has to be uh, uh, understood. However, it's not a case of guilt. Whoever put this question used the term guilt more or less in the same way that uh, a soldier coming from war feels a wee bit guilty about the, his survival uh, compared to his pals and his fellow uh, soldiers who were killed en route or a patient uh, or a person who has survived uh, a terrible accident like an air accident uh, where everyone else was killed and he survived. This again is an issue that cannot be held uh, in silence, cannot be kept in silence. It has to be discussed. Uh, it, and I believe that whoever listens has to be able to convert these negative feelings of guilt to feelings of gratitude. We're grateful that we've survived. Um, we have survived partly because of our will to survive, partly because we got a bit lucky and avoided um, the complications, if you like, or some of the complications that were lethal to some of our friends. But we have survived. Thank God. We have survived. Let's give courage to others to keep up the good fight. Um, so it is a case of, again, communicating and discussing, hopefully with the right person, able to listen, able to respond. Kathleen, I think you should come in on this as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that, that you said it all. I mean, that that's exactly right. Um, and so I, I think the piece I could probably add is that um, if there isn't somebody, there is a power to journaling, writing about your feelings and your thoughts, um, especially if somebody has passed. Um, you would want to find some kind of a grief, you know, be a grief help. In America, we do have quite a few online, group, you know, grief um, counseling support groups, you know, kind of um, processes set up, but um, but not specific to you know to thalassemia. So that makes it a little bit um, more difficult. But yes, the more that the patients can talk about that and label the feelings that they're having. You know, I really encourage my patients, like, what is your feeling in your body? Let's talk about it, let's label it. And that many times is really hard. They haven't really thought about their feelings. It's more about the here in the brain or their medical, but not really about their emotions. So being able to process any and all grief um, is very important. And there is a, pro there is a process to it, so. Yeah, that's the end of our uh, segment and the end to our first episode of this three-part mental health web, uh, uh, podcast. And thank you, Dr. Michael. Thank you, Kathleen and George, uh, for all the input. We got um, the professional input and the patient input, which is incredibly important for our patients. And we love our patients so much, whether our patients are in Bangladesh or Malaysia, or UK, or America, um, we're here for you. Reach out to us. Do not do this alone. Uh, and uh, we will, you know, just do our best to 
hold your hands as far away as you are. Um, you are our uh, second family. So we are always here for you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Kathleen. And thank you, Maria, for fantastic moderation. Yeah, good time. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.